0: too young to know what was going on he was only four at this time he came uncomplaining although at that age he didn't usually like to go far from the shanty and would fret and whimper if its roof went out of sight he came that day however quiet as a mouse I took his hand which was a clenched flower bud I felt a touch sorry for him because it might be his last day of being the baby of the family "'and his coddling days could be done. "'He was too small and knowledgeless to know it, though, "'so I guess the loss couldn't hurt him. "'Besides, his being born was what put an end to the coddling days of my own. "'Come on, Tin,' I said, and gave his arm a bit of a yank for vengeance. "'I didn't know where to take him, nor how long Dar wanted us to stay away, "'and I was worrying, too, about ma'am.' we had been gasping and muttering back at the house. When we reached the crest of a lumpy hill, I turned to look behind me and saw the shanty with the dogs lying in the grey sunlight and Devon's summer bed folded on the veranda and no grass, just earth and slime, in a wide circle all around the building. And beyond the circle the grass began, and you could see where Tin and I had stomped through it, patches of it being Trampled. Our house had two windows and one of them looked into the bedroom where ma'am had been pacing all morning but I had no hankering for going and peeping through. It felt like something dangerous was going on in that room. I knew a fair amount about babies, being almost seven years old at this time. I knew that delivering meant coming into the world, not arriving on the doorstep like a package. And I'd experienced my share of newborns There'd been one arrived between me and Tin, which I had seen and didn't remember, and one between Tin and this latest, which I hadn't seen and did. The first lasted only a moment, and the other not even that. So I reckon babies coming shouldn't cause all that much trouble. They either came and stayed, or came and didn't. Only a baby, but everything seemed dismaying somehow, Everyone was so grim. I didn't want to be anywhere near the place. The land where we lived was by nature dry and dusty, but that winter there'd been more rain than a duck would have dreamed of, and when I glanced at Tim, the mud was seeping up between his toes, and he was sinking into the earth, shivering and half asleep. I shook him wakeful and hurried him along. "'Where will we go, Tim?' I asked." not expecting any answer because he was generally reticent. Will we go fishing? I had him moving at a trot and his head was joggling up and down, which I took to signify his agreement. There weren't any fish in the creek, but he was at the age where you can fool them. He was certain to start whining sooner or later anyway, no matter what we did, and the best I could do was stall that commotion as long as I could. I had a pin in the hem of my dress, and I stopped to unfasten it and give it to him. He examined it carefully before looking at me quizzically through tangles of dandel hair. "'You can spike a fish with that,' I explained. "'That's your hook.' I could see he liked that sharp, reflecting thing. It was half a mile to the creek, and I put him on my back and hiked him most of the way, he being light as a feather." I talked to keep him distracted, telling him it was callous to stab my throat with a pin, and what would the baby be, a new boy or a new girl? We had two of each already, not counting mam and dar, so things were pretty equal as they stood, and it would be a hard blow to the side that came away the minority. I thought it was a shame that only babies could be born, whichever it turned out being. I could think of plenty of other things I would have preferred to get for nothing, The creek was typically a drool of a waterway, but that afternoon it was running high because of all the rain and the bank was soft and oozy. Tim's feet disappeared to his ankles and he was covered in mud before he even reached the water. He was a dark child anyway, so it didn't look too bad on him. I sat on a rock and left him to his devices and looked around, bored. There were white-trunked trees on either side of the creek and you could see where the rain had washed away the earth that had hidden their roots, and the roots poked out knotted and naked, groping. It was that quiet, cold kind of day, when the birds are surly and refusing to sing, and the leaves on the branches aren't moving, and seem like they never could. The creek was sluggish, hardly rippling, made from something thick and heavier than water. I was hungry, and could hear my stomach rumbling. I would have exchanged a new baby a hundred times over for a plate of something warm to eat. When I looked again at Tin, he was crouched, staring and musing in the shallows, with the seat of his pants drenched black, so I crawled forward to see what was diverting him. There was a fish there, swimming in his shadow. There was a whole crowd of fishes when I looked harder, stranded in a pocket of rock, as if the creek had splashed them there for safekeeping, or for Tin's amusement alone. Oh! I exclaimed. The fish were the length of Tin's thumb, each of them, and not worth the hooking, but they were pretty and silvery. They looked like that hen pin come alive. Tin was sucking on the pin, so I took it from him and stirred the rock pool's water, and the fish spangled and flashed in agitation. I put a finger in the water, and the whole crowd darted and tapped and knocked and nibbled. Tin's teeth were clickering with the cold now. He crossed the stepping stones to the opposite bank, and from the way he tugged despondently at a handful of tree root and looked mournfully in the direction of home, I could tell he was pondering the practicality of crying. He wandered a distance upstream, clutching the bank to steady himself, hoisting his knees so silt and water came pouring off his heels. Tin, I said, come and look at the dainty fishes. He wouldn't. He turned his face to the mucky wall of the creek and stood there, up to his knees in water. I wasn't about to pander to his childishness, so I took no notice of him. I caught a fish in the bowl of my palm and it lashed about while the water drained between my fingers and then lay flat on its side, heaving like a bellows. I petted it with a fingertip and touched it to my lips. It didn't taste like anything. ''Look, Tin!'' I said, but he went on masquerading to be deaf. So... ''Look, Tin!'' I said again, this time making my voice full of wonder and amazement, which he could surely not resist. Same as a cat can't resist investigating when you suggest there's something hidden she might like to see. If it works on a cat, it should work on a four-year-old. But it didn't. Tin stayed where he was and when I glanced over my shoulder, full of annoyance, he wasn't anywhere. And the creek bank looked different somehow, with clots of dryish earth rolling down its flank and clinking into the water, and the ground all about torn through with a great cleave, and I could hear the dog-scratch sound of tree roots tearing. The creek bank had caved in, right on top of Tin. There was not a spot of him left to be seen, That tiny fish I had in my hand went slithering into the water. I pounced through the creek to where he'd last been standing and started scrabbling at the dirt, yelling out his name. The earth was heavy and sticky. My fingers left slick gouges behind them but hardly took anything away. I screeched to him over and over, thinking if he could hear me, he'd be comforted. All the while thrashing at the mud, spattering it into my hair and eyes and spitting it out with my cries. I dug and dug in a frenzy, my arms moving like legs running. But I couldn't get a decent grip. I was staggering and slipping and weighted down with the cold. I was gasping and choking, and the earth slid into the places I'd dug clear and spat clamorily into my face and blinded me from what I was doing but not doing, changing but leaving the same. I tripped in the water, and it went over my head, dashing them up from my eyes, but alarming me anyway because the water shouldn't be that deep. And as soon as I was on my feet, I realised why it was that way. The creek was damming around the landslid earth in its midst. It wasn't getting past the way it wanted to, and each minute was raising it higher. In rage, I splashed the water and kicked it, as if a beating could drive it away. There was a full-grown, stringy bark looming on what was left of the bank, and it let out an ominous crack like lightning can, and I wailed at it and pleaded to it, knowing what it intended to do. My arms were going and my voice was going, but everything in me was off and running. The water was rising and the tree was falling and dirt was tumbling more and more into the places I'd just that moment cleared.